Well, we're in John's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 3 today, still kind of plugging along. John chapter 3. And I have titled this sermon, uh, Love That Moves. And hopefully that will make sense as we move forward. I wonder if I can just kind of be... open with you guys a little bit, maybe a little transparent, maybe be even a little vulnerable this week. Um, I met with Bob this week, and I, and, 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 you know, Bob's a mentor to me. Uh, the Lord has put me here, and I'm blessed to have a, a man that has been pastor for a long time to steer me along, because I need a lot of steering at times, you know? <laughs> um, so he does that just informally, but also for my school, we meet every so often. And, and he asked me a question as we met, and the question just struck me because it was something that I have been wrestling with uh, for the past number of weeks or something. And he just, simple question, we often ask each other as Christians, he said, how's your walk with the Lord? You know, and um, just that very morning I had been sitting in my chair in my study kind of pondering that question of, where am I right now? You know, how is my heart? I mean, I love to be here on Sunday with you guys and preach. And it's not, it wasn't a, really a question of ministry, but it was just Brett before the Lord. You know, like, what, what's going on here? Am I seeing growth in my life? Do I have passion for people out there that are going to hell? You know, is there a burden? You know, have I lost some of that? I was just kind of wrestling with some of those things, and I have a tendency uh, to kind of beat myself up a little bit. When, when I have those kind of thoughts. And I thought, maybe I'm not alone in this. You know, maybe, maybe you guys sometimes feel kind of complacent in your Christianity. You know, just kind of, we get in a rut and we go through the motions and I, we go to church and we do the church stuff, but it's just kind of, there's not a lot of fire here. You know, it's easy just to kind of get complacent, kind of stagnant. So as I was kind of wrestling with that in my mind, and after we had talked, it kind of it kind of festered some more. Uh, and then in my text this week, as I'm thinking, if I'm having these struggles, I'm sure that some people in the congregation either are or do at times. Then the text that I'm to preach today is the most familiar text in all of the Bible. A text that you've all heard a thousand times, over and over. And I began to think, you know, what am I going to do with this text to make it fresh? How am I going to preach this thing? What, what angle am I going to take? with this text. And the Lord just really ministered to me. And and I just had this thought that the problem is not with this passage. You know, if I could read this text that we're going to read today, and I'm not moved in some way. And by moved, I don't mean crying. I don't necessarily mean emotional. But moved in some way. Moved to, to see God's love greater. Moved to love Him more. Moved to to share His love with someone, whatever it is. If I can read this passage and I'm not moved at all, then the problem is not with the text. The problem is with my own heart. The, the callousness of my own heart. So if you leave here today and you haven't been moved at all, and again, I don't mean that you break out crying in your chair, but move to love Him more. Move to see His love at a greater level. Move to share His love with someone else. Then I have failed then I have not done this text justice because really, uh, this text should preach itself. But what I hope to show as we open up this very familiar passage uh, is that this text can change your life. 
And that's a big statement. But this text can change your life because it gets to the very heart of what the Gospel is. And of course, our passage today is John 3.16. Everyone's heard it. I bet most of us here were, were introduced to this text as children. Even if you weren't a, a Christian, didn't go to church, I'm sure in some form you were exposed to this passage. Most of you could probably recite it uh, right now if we asked you to, so I'm going to put somebody on the spot. No. Uh, but we're very familiar with this text, right? But I want you, as best you can, is just to receive it as if you've never heard this passage before. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but has eternal life. So a great text, right, where we see this amazing love of God but what I want to do before we kind of dig into God's love is I want us to think about who this love has been placed upon. Of course, that love has been placed upon you and you and you and me. But who are we? What does the Bible have to say about the type of people that God loves? Because I think if we don't understand ourselves before Christ biblically, then we may tend to, to, to think that this love is not that big of a deal. Because sometimes maybe, maybe you're like me, and you know I feel like I'm pretty lovable. I mean, what's not to love, right? And I say that, hope you know I'm joking. But we kind of think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not all that bad, so yeah, God loves me. I mean, He kind of should. You know, I mess up now and then. But when we open up the Scriptures to see what does it actually say about every man, what, what state we are born in, I think we will appreciate this love on a much grander scale. So when you hear me read these verses, and maybe in your mind you may be thinking, man, this guy is so negative. He loves these passages on sin and depravity. Now, that's not my hope, is not to lead you to despair. My hope is that we would see that, man, Christ truly is our only hope. That apart from Him, we really are doomed. So I'm going to go to the Old Testament, and I'm just going to keep moving. If you want to turn there, that's fine, but... For time's sake, I'm just going to keep moving along. So Genesis 6 is the first passage. And we know that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall into sin. And only three chapters later now, we see that God is going to judge the entire world. And we may think that, man, that's three chapters. What's that? Two weeks has gone by? A little time has gone by. Uh, maybe about 1,500 years from the time, if we look at all the generations, follow those time spans. About 1,500 years from the sin in the garden to the flood. And we read in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord looks down and He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of His heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. Strong words there. We see that the Lord is looking at man. Not a group over here, not a country over here, but He's looking at humanity. And He says that the wickedness of man is great and that every intention of the thought of, the, of his heart is evil. Now I think Moses, the writer here, uh, is maybe using some hyperbole. He's exaggerating a little bit to make a point. Only to say, I don't think he means that, that every person is constantly thinking about murderous thoughts but that sin has consumed our whole being. 
Every part of us is corrupted by sin. Our motives, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. There is no piece of our life that has not been corrupted by sin. We then move on to Psalm 51. And this is that beautiful passage where uh, David has been exposed. His sin has been brought out in the open by the prophet Nathan. And he's repenting before God. And we just see this heartfelt cry as he is in anguish over his sin. Psalm 51, verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We learn there from David that, that we are born in sin. That we were in sin at conception. Sin wasn't something that we, that we came into this world and we were either, we were kind of neutral, we were good or bad, and then we were influenced and then we turned to evil. But we learn there that sin is in us from conception. We move again now to Jeremiah 17.9. The prophet says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or who can know it? The heart. Again, he's not talking about this nation. Jeremiah 17.9. He's not talking about this nation or these people or these over here that hate God. He says, the heart of mankind is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Have you ever heard that that phrase, just follow your heart? Just follow your heart. Don't do that. Because the Bible tells us that our heart is actually sick and it deceives us, that we can't even really know it. And Maybe you would attest that at times we are led astray by the desires of our own heart, things that we think are good and we realize, man, I shouldn't have listened to my heart. I should have trusted what others said. I wanted this thing, but it turned out that I was wrong. So the prophet says the heart is deceitful above all things. And we turn to the New Testament. And this is one of the strongest words. This is the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans 3. And what Paul has done from the midway point of Romans 1 through chapter 3 is just made this case in no uncertain terms that all of humanity is guilty before God. It doesn't matter Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter your background. Every person stands to be condemned for their sin. And every person is evil apart from a work of the Spirit. And what he does is he takes a bunch of Old Testament passages and just kind of lumps them together. And I start in verse 10 of Romans 3. As it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He says this about all people. He's trying to lay the case that everyone, this is man's natural spiritual state apart from a work of the Holy Spirit. And he caps that off with verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to think about the worst kind of sinner that comes in your mind. Whatever that picture is that you think of, the most heinous group or people or person, um, that picture that comes to your mind. I think the reality is, is that is you before a holy God. 
Now, don't hear me say that God looks at every sin the same. If I was to get a speeding ticket on the way here to church, or if I was to harm a child, God is going to look at those things differently. But James tells us in James chapter 2 that if we break one commandment, we're guilty of the whole law. So all of us stand before God on our own with every work that we've done as filthy rags, right? It's just it's stained with sin before God. And I say that, again, not to lead us to despair, but that we would turn and flee to Christ again and again. And I will say, I, I have to say that if you are here today and you would say, you know, right now I'm not a believer, I'm not in Christ, I'm not trusting in Him, I know that, uh, then the Bible says that this is your current spiritual condition. And that's a frightening thing to say, this is me, uh, but the, the amazing part is you don't have to stay in that place. That you can turn to Christ for forgiveness now, and He will accept you based upon Jesus' work on the cross. So those are some things that the Bible says about humans before Christ. And I say that, that that's in the front of your mind. This is really who we are when we're born. I know we think we're nice and cuddly and sweet, uh, but the Bible says that the venom of snakes is under our tongues and our feet are swift to shed blood. With that in your mind, we now turn to John 3.16 and we now consider the great love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We often hear this verse used in the context of evangelism. Whoever believes in Jesus, turn now and He will save you. And praise God, that's a, that's a perfect use of this passage. But I want to even focus just on the first half today, just on what God has done. We read that He loved, so He gave His Son. I don't think we can ever measure or understand the fullness of what took place there. That God the Son, who has infinite worth and value, would step off His throne, would take on human flesh, would dwell with a people that are sinful, people that would mock and spit on Him and betray Him and eventually crucify Him. If I could try to, try to put it in, in human terms, and I'm, I'm hesitant to even say this uh, because I don't think it ever is going to pale in comparison still, but if I was to come to you and say, listen, there's this person that really needs your help. Apart from you stepping in, they're going to perish without you. They're going to die. And you would say, I don't know what I can do, but what can I do? I'll help. And I would say, but, but I want to tell you up front that this person is a criminal. They're guilty of all sorts of sin. Uh, they don't live a very good life. They're not a good person. And you might say, well, whatever. It's not about that. How can I help? They're going to die. And I would say, no, but listen, I also want to tell you this, that this person opposes everything about you. They don't like you. They don't want you. They oppose everything that you are. And you would say, well, I don't know what I've done, but it's not about me. How can I help? And then I would say, you know, that beautiful daughter that you have, that sweet little granddaughter or that grandson, I need her. What do you mean you need her? I need you to offer her up for him. What do you mean offer her up? She needs to die. Probably at that point, you'd step back, you'd put your fists up, and you'd kind of be like, you need to stay away from my family, right? 
your daughter that you love, and I'm sorry if this is graphic, but your daughter that you love is going to be offered as a sacrifice for that criminal that opposes everything that you are. She's going to be put up on a cross, she's going to be publicly humiliated, and she's going to die a gruesome death. Now we think about the weight of that, about of, of us offering up our own child that we love. But God offers up His own dear Son of infinite worth. This is the second person of the Trinity who He has been in relationship from eternity past. He loved, so He gave His Son. I want to say something. You've all heard this before. It's nothing profound. It is extremely profound. But I just want to say it, and I just want you to hear it. Christian, God loves you. God loves you. I mean, let those words wash over you. The God in heaven, the, the God Almighty that speaks planets into being, the God uh, that, is, that dwells in unapproachable light, He loves you. He loves you. I want to think about this love for a minute. You see uh, the handout, so many angles we could go, but I want to just make some points about, about this love that God shows His people. And the first thing that we, that we see, especially in this verse, is that God's love is sacrificial. God's love is all about giving. And I think really that He shows us what love is in this great act. He loved, so He gave. And you've heard me say, I think, that the love that we see, this sort of love in the Bible, it's not about feelings. It's not emotional type of love. It's an act of the will. God chooses to love, so He loves. And we emulate this sort of love in our wedding vows. right? Where we say, I'm going to love you in sickness, in health, rich or poor. And what that means is obvious. It's not about feelings. I'm choosing that I will love you for the rest of my life, no matter what that looks like. And we see that God's love is about the ultimate sacrifice. When God loves, when He says, I love you, He demonstrates that by giving the greatest thing that He could give us. Number two, as we think about God's love, His love is uninfluenced. And what I mean by that is that He doesn't look at the person, He doesn't look at the creature, but His love flows from who He is. He says to Israel, who He loves, who He calls His Son, the nation. In Deuteronomy 7, he says, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. We love because we see something in the object of our love, whether husband or wife, or whether we're talking about trivial things like cars and food and vacation spots. We say we love them because we see something in them that we're attracted to, that we appreciate. But God's love is not influenced by the creature. It flows from who He is. It's in His very essence to love. Number three, His love is eternal. His love didn't start for you when you were born. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, He says, He chose us, speaking of the church, two Christians, in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us 
to adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So God loved you before He even created the world. He chose a people and placed His love upon them before He created that they would be holy and blameless and in love predestined them to adoption, to be His sons and daughters. And then number four is love is perfect. And we see this, I think, um, spoken of a lot in the Old Testament as it's described as His steadfast love. His love is unending. His love is perfect. My love for my wife, as much as I love her, I love you, is imperfect. You can ask her, but please don't. But my love for her is imperfect. As much as I love her and as much as I want it to be perfect, it's not. right. And I let her down and I, and I do things that I shouldn't and I speak in a way that I shouldn't. But God's love is perfect. It never falters. It never wavers. It is not affected by any influence. He is not influenced by circumstances or behaviors. He loved, so He gave His Son that you could have life. So I want to bring this home. How can this truth help me in life today? You know, it's John 3.16. We've heard it so many times. We know it. Many of you probably learned it in Sunday school. How can this truth change me today? I wrote something on your handout. I said this, the great motivating force for every Christian is the love of God displayed most clearly in the Gospel. The great motivating force for every Christian. What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What pushes us on? What's hel- what helps us to persevere in this life? The great motivating force for every Christian is the love of God most clearly displayed in the Gospel. You may have heard me say before that Christians need the Gospel daily. Now, some would say amen, and for some maybe that sounds odd when you first hear that. We often think of the Gospel being for evangelism or missions or altar calls or what have you. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Roman church, he addresses his letter to uh, those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he speaks to Christians and he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And he knows that they're Christian. They're obviously there's Christian and non-Christians. But he wants to preach the gospel to believers. He sees value in that. And I see the gospel and specifically for our text today, the love of God as the fuel or food that Christians need to fight against the weariness of our soul. We all have imperfect faith. Amen? (laughs) I know I do. We're tempted to doubt. We're tempted to fall into spiritual depression, despair. We're tempted to feel if God is just so distant at times. So how can John 3.16... How can letting this truth wash over me, how can it feed my soul today? How can it help me to live as a Christian? Number one, this verse is strong encouragement that today God will embrace me. Maybe you're tempted like me and you're tempted to look backwards. Tempted to look at the past failures, stupid things you've done. Maybe you say things like, I wish I, wish I would have raised my kids like this. I wish I would have done less of this. 
in more of this. I wish I wouldn't have lived like this or lived like that. And we're tempted to look at the things that we've done. But as we read a passage that says God loved, so He gave His Son, what we see is encouragement that today God embraces me. Not based upon my past behaviors, not based upon the way I've lived my life, but based upon the fact that I have faith in His Son, whom He loved and He gave so that I could have life. So this verse is encouragement today. God embraces me today. No matter how close, no matter how distant He feels, I'm embraced, I'm accepted by God because He loved, so He gave His Son. Uh, Number two, if that first one was about looking in the past, uh, number two is that His love is not tied to today's performance. We live in a performance-driven world. Do we not? Everything's measured. Um, It's all about how good you do, especially in the workforce. I spoke with my mailman the other day, and he's been there 25 years. And I told him, you know, I always thought it would be fun to be a mailman. Maybe because I'm a loner. I'm not sure why that is. but. And he said, I used to love it, but now everything's measured and my performance is constantly measured. So every time he puts a mail, some mail in, he has to scan something and there's a computer every day spitting out a report saying you were too slow here and too slow here and his bosses are on him. And that's, a, that's how we live, right? That's what we're used to, that everything is measured and has to be dialed in and how good are you doing? But when we read this passage and see that God loves so much that He gave His Son, we understand that that love is not tied to how much Bible I read today or didn't read and how long my prayers were or if I forgot them altogether. Now, Bible reading and prayer are great practices for believers, but God's love is not measured day in, day out for you by how spiritual you feel by how much you read or haven't read today, or if you got up, slept in, missed the alarm clock, kicked the cat, didn't read, you know, barked at the guy down the street, whatever that looks like. We read a verse like this and we know that His love is not dependent upon today's performance. Number three, kind of the opposite of that, a passage like this checks my heart of spiritual pride. Uh, Maybe... Maybe it's not, oh, I haven't read and, and God doesn't love me or He's frowning at me. But maybe maybe I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I read the entire book of Romans in one sitting. Don't you think highly of me? Now, no one says that. But we have a tendency to, to be a little prideful when we are doing good. And maybe we have a tendency to look down upon others at times in our pride. But when we see that God loved, so He gave His Son... And that that love is not influenced by me. He didn't do it because he looked at me and thought, oh, this guy's nice. I'm going to give Jesus for him. But his love flowed out of who he is. And it squashes this pride that I might have when I'm feeling like I'm doing something special for God. Number four, uh, John 3.16, how does this truth washing over my soul help me right now? Uh, it is strong medicine against sin in my life. A daily washing in the gospel, a daily reminder of the truth of the gospel will give us new appetites. New appetites for the things of God and the appetite for the things of the world will just fall away. I remember when I was a young, when I was a kid, I loved McDonald's and Carl's Jr. 
And I'd say, come on, not another home-cooked meal. You know, let's go, let's go get some fast food, you know? And I just had different tastes back then. And now it's like, oh, you know, it's the opposite, of course. Uh, but the more that we, that we dine on spiritual things, the more that we are washed in the Word of God, the more that we receive His truth for our souls, He gives us different appetites. So when these silly Big Macs, the things of the world come our way, they don't even, they don't satisfy, they don't draw us anymore because we want the meat, we want the truth of who God is and what He's done for us. So it is strong medicine against sin in my life when I know close in my soul the love of God for me. And number five, uh, this truth passage is a fierce weapon against unbelief. Now when I say unbelief, I don't mean Christian and non-Christian, but I mean the fact that we are tempted at times to doubt God's goodness. We're tempted at times to doubt, does He really love me? Maybe we don't say that. Maybe we don't say, I don't think God's, God loves me. But maybe it's more something like this. We look at our life and we look at our circumstances and we say things like, is this really what God's love looks like? Is this really it? Am I really experiencing it? I mean, how could I be walking through this season or that season or facing this trial when God says He loves me? Is this really what the love of God looks like? But when we read, He loved, so He gave His Son, it squashes me looking at situations or circumstances, but it helps me to know that my circumstances do not dictate His love. All I have to do is look to the cross. All I have to do is, is look to the fact that He gave His beloved Son so that I could have life, so that I would not perish. He offered up His own Son on my behalf and on your behalf, so that you would not perish, so that you wouldn't be condemned. And He placed your sin, your guilt, all that unrighteousness, all those negative verses we read, He placed all that upon His own Son. Imagine offering up your own son, your own dear grandson, to take someone else's guilt and penalty, the most evil, wicked, murderous person that stands before a judge, and they would say, all you have to do is let your son take his crime, all the guilt that's owed to him. Put it on him and this criminal can go free. Imagine doing that. And that's what God has done. And, and when we ponder and let this truth soak over our souls, fierce weapon against unbelief when we doubt God's goodness. So, in the spirit of, of transparency or vulnerability, uh, Honestly, I loathe putting myself at the center of the sermon, and I'm not wanting to do that. Uh, but I just want to share something with you by way of application uh, to, sh to illustrate this because uh, the Lord just used this very thing I'm talking about in my life this week. So I said I was just kind of in a low spot, you know, and uh, kind of wrestling with my own heart and where am I before the Lord and what's going on. Not questioning am I saved, but just what's going on in my own heart? You know, where the heck am I? And uh, I said I met with Bob and was wrestling with some stuff and then went home and talked to my wife, Erica, and she did what any good wife would do. She began to speak truth into my life and you know, this is who God is and this is what He's done and this is what He's brought us through. And I was rejoicing in those things. And then I went to bed still kind of weird and had all these crazy dreams at night um, and woke up just in a total funk again on Friday morning. 
I went into my study, just a normal day, did what I always do. I sat in my chair. Um, right now I'm reading something in the Old Testament, a psalm, and something in the New. So I opened up to Ezra. That's where I was starting. And I, and I began to read that book, and I just said, Lord, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not. I'm just not. You know, I read a chapter, and I have no idea what I just read. It's talking about history, and, and I just... I just wasn't I wasn't hearing it, you know? So I said, I'm just going to go to the Psalms. And I turned to the Psalm that I was at just that day. I just happened, this is where I was supposed to read. And I, I was reminded of a sermon I had heard a couple days before as I was kind of trying to pray, and I just was sitting there, I don't even know what to pray right now. And I, and I remembered this pastor saying that he was blessed in a in a low season as he was reminded of the words that Jesus always lives to give intercession for His people. That Jesus intercedes for the saints to the Father. And He said in that moment when He couldn't pray, uh, He was given peace just knowing that Jesus was interceding for Him. And I just said, Lord, I don't even know how to pray right now. And I began to pray through this psalm. Psalm 86, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And the Lord just began to minister to my soul through His words. I began to pray, Lord, I am so spiritually poor right now and needy. I need You. Preserve my life. Save Your servant who trusts in You. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Gladden the soul of Your servant. And as these words began to wash over me, I just began to, to preach the Gospel to my own soul. And the words of Galatians chapter 2 came to mind. Maybe you know it, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And this may sound silly, but you know I'm in my study. It's 6 in the morning. Haley's room is right there. Um, next door, but it's spring break, so she doesn't even get up till 2 p.m. or something. So, And I just began to sit there in my chair and say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I am so rich. I am in Him. You know, and, and God just began to take His truth and just wash it over my weary soul and minister. And He, he filled me and He fed me in a way that, that no worldly thing could ever do. God's Word is powerful and it is active. And I know sometimes we, we hear a verse and it just sounds like, and I've heard this so many times, I know God loves me and that's, that's good and I appreciate it. Sometimes God applies that truth deep down in our souls. And when I talk about Christians needing the Gospel daily, that's what I'm saying, that God can feed us through words that we have heard a thousand times. I know you've all experienced His blessing through His Word. So I pray today as you... Think about this verse. And I just encourage you, I challenge you to meditate on this verse. You know it. You can probably recite it. You can, mem you, can, you can say it maybe. Think about this verse. And I pray that God would wash you with His Word. That He would drive this truth so deep into your heart that He would tattoo it on your heart. Let's pray.